You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Locked On Padres podcast. The only pod that may be available uh nope the only pod that may be better than the padres themselves sometimes i get my like intros and outros a little bit mixed up every now and then uh, especially when i have people on um as always i'm your host with sometimes occasionally but certainly not always the most javier reyes you might be familiar with some of my baseball where to work at places like baseball fyi fires on base off the bench baseball or just baseball to which i am a staff writer for you can follow me on twitter at javapeno j-a-v-i-i-p-e-n-o or at lo underscore padres for the twitter account for the show thank you as always for making lockdown padres your hashtag first listen every day and with all the intro weirdness out of the way i am very 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 excited to be joined by mr taylor blake ward former host of the lockdown angels podcast and bob fontaine jr who is a former or yeah former baseball scout uh who did a lot of great things how are you guys doing before we get into this Doing good, Javi. Thanks for having me on, buddy, and thanks for having Bobby on. Thanks, Javi. It's good to be here. Awesome. Um, and the reason I want to have you guys on is, look, I mean, we're going to get into it. We're talking books today, guys. We're talking, you know, we're getting really deep into the weeds of baseball talk. Everyone wants to ask me about, oh, are the Padres, are they signing Robbie Ray and this and that? No, no, no. You got to save that. Because also breaking news for everybody, we're going to have some time before all the big, you know, signing coming and all that stuff. But um, I want to have you guys on because, Taylor, you have a book coming out, In Search of Millionaires, The Life of a Baseball Gypsy, which which I might just say before we get into it, an excellent title. I, I really I really love the title. Uh, Gypsy in any format, I think, is an incredible <laughs> uh, title, I must say. Um, it's the biography of Bobby, who's here on the show, um, the scout who signed many players such as... Ozzie Smith, Tony Gwynn. That's right. The guy that I was alluding to at the beginning of this uh, video forum of the podcast that I couldn't come up with a funny alternative before. Tony Gwynn, Randy Johnson, Jim Addit, Tim Moore. We're going to be talking about that, guys, on today's show, as well as I'm going to be kind of honing in on the Padre-specific players like Mr. Tony Gwynn, Mr. Padre. And then going to conclude with just some fun talk about other favorite baseball and, and sports books of any kind that the two may have. So, uh, firstly, I guess... You guys want to jump right into this? Yeah, um, Bobby, I'll start. It's uh, in search of search of millionaires, life of a baseball gypsy. Uh, it's a project that Bobby's been working on for a long time, um, and finally, uh, it was uh, late October. We were able to release the book. It's it's available now, and we're really excited to have it out. And, and like you said, life of a baseball gypsy. Um, that's the starting chapter, and that's Bobby. You know, Bobby came up with the the title, the works, um, and. Uh, it was a great project to work on. It was really fun talking with Bob during all this and being able to do it um, and document his life. It's really cool. Um, and I'll let Bobby take the rest. I mean, this is really his book and it's remarkable just to be a part of it. Well, um, excuse me. Thank you, Taylor. I appreciate it. And of course I appreciate all the hard work you put into it. You know, you think you remember things that happened 50 years ago but they're not always quite the way you remember it. And Taylor has done a great job uh, fact-checking it and asking a lot of questions, which made me think even more uh, in depth than what, what uh, was trying to be said. This was something that a friend of mine that scattered for many years 
recommended to me. He did magazine articles about his life in baseball, and he wanted his kids to know what he had done. Um, and I thought about that a lot. Uh, as you get older, you feel very guilty about the things you've missed in your kids' lives. Even though they've been great about it and understanding and stuff, you realize maybe they weren't. And I thought it was important. If, if, five, if only five people liked the book, it was important it was my five kids. I wanted them to understand why I missed so much of their life. And, and, uh, and they were always so great about understanding. And then as, as getting into the process, uh, the veteran traditional scout is, is leaving the game at an alarming rate for a bunch of different reasons. And, it, and another friend said, you need to document what it was like to be one of these guys while we're still around. So that's basically what was behind it. Taylor and I got together, and it's been a couple of years now, and, and just tried to, to re, redo the thing, put it in order, and acknowledge as many people that gave their life for this game. Uh, and to also give my kids a vision into what it was like for a college, a high school graduate. I'm not going to say college, high school graduate. Myself, myself be able to to uh, support a life for them. That's awesome, man. That, but like before, before I dive deeper into the the weeds of this thing, like how exactly did you two uh, combine your magical powers? How did you Voltron this? How did you guys specifically come together and kind of put together this whole thing? What was that whole process like? Because I mean, the idea of writing a book. The idea of thinking about what to write for a book alone seems like incredibly intimidating. So kind of just break that all down for us. Just to kind of start on that is um, we had a mutual friend, Tim Mead, who was president of the Baseball Hall of Fame for a little while just recently. And um, and Bobby got to work with him when he was with the Angels. And, and I got to work with him uh, just, you know, he was a PR guy for the Angels when I was covering the team. And Tim sent me a text and I've got a friend, he's a scout and you got to meet him. Uh, he's got a, I, he's got a project. Oh, that's all I knew it was a project is what he had for, uh, for me. And I said, sure. I said, you know, I'd love to. And, and we met at a coffee shop in my hometown and it was supposed to be, you know, 20, 30 minute conversation that lasted a couple hours that we were talking about, you know, Hey, we know this guy, we know this guy, uh, you know, this is the direction baseball is going based on our views. Um, and we had differing views at times, but it never, you know, it was pretty similar. And Bobby told me about this book and said, look, you know, if, if you want to do this, I'm more than happy to have you be the guy. And that's my, this is my version of the story. I don't know how Bobby's going to say here, but, um, you know, just coming away from that meeting, I said, absolutely. This is something I want to do. Your stories are so interesting to me and intriguing to me. And, and it's, it wasn't even about the guys that I grew up watching, you know, Tony Gwynn and, and Jim Abbott, Tim Salmon, Darren Erstad. It wasn't even about that. It's about, you know, we're talking about a guy that shows up to the ballpark in the Dominican drunk and, and gets wheelbarrowed out of the ballpark because he's so drunk. And it's stories like that that really just drew me in and made Bobby so interesting. And it's really built a friendship. And uh, Bobby, it, I, that's like I said, that's my side of the story. I don't know about Bobby. No, I, I agree with you, Taylor. I, I think I knew right away his love and interest in this. And, and, and even though he's grown up in the more analytical age of baseball, he had a real interest and knowledge of the way things were for 125 years. Mm -hmm. And it was fun for me because to, to go back over this stuff and to explain to Taylor exactly what I was trying to say, it, 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 it made me feel good that, yeah, this is something that I really want 
to do. And he did a wonderful job putting it together. And uh, it's, hey, it's finally happened. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that like, you know, you guys bring up a good point, like just the the analytical era of baseball. That is certainly what I grew up with. You know what I mean? And I I've make fun of some of the analytics every now and then on this show because I sometimes just I get to a phase where I'm like, do you guys want to make baseball sound fun every now and then when people get a little bit over the board? So I really don't know much about this. I'm wondering, is that kind of the pitch? for people who might be interested in this story is that that they might be used to is this not a book that's just say meant for nostalgia and meant for people who are older and they want to relive the glory days is it also something that you think can appeal to a wider or i should say younger audience uh that might not be familiar with how baseball used to be you know kind of done hey taylor if i can jump in real quickly here yeah i hope so i hope so javi because Mm -hmm. one of the things we tried to do was explain the differences between different things You know what, numbers and statistics, they've been around the game forever. They're an interesting part of it. They always will be. Um, It's gone beyond that, though, in many cases, to where the human element is becoming less important in the human decision. I, I think that what hopefully will come across is that understand this, is that numbers and formulas and statistics could care less whether you win, lose, fail or successful people do Mm -hmm. people are the ones that put their heart and soul in it and it doesn't mean they're not going to use these tools to come up with what they believe is right but to 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 not use the human element in a human decision that doesn't seem to me like you're getting the most out of the decision making process and so i think what what taylor and i hope to come to get across is that yeah these things are here and a lot of these analytical things have some real merit, but don't take away the human element, the gut feeling, the emotion, the reference, the experiences that people have learned along the way that can tell you, yes, it may say that, but it doesn't work. Or yes, it may say that, but this kind of kid ends up being a good player. If you combine the two together, you get the best of both worlds. I think what happens too often is baseball, they get on something and they take it to the far extreme instead of settling in the middle where it will be, you know, uh, at its best. So hopefully people will get something out of it. Yeah, I would agree. agree. Um, You know, I'm an analytical person. I believe in the analytics, Um, but I also am very, I find the scouting, uh, traditional scouting more valuable. And I've always been that way is scouting has always been the most important part of baseball outside of the players itself. And for for me, you know, when we started this process, it was nostalgia. It was learning how the Padres signed Ozzy Smith and Tony Gwynn and, and guys like this. But as we kind of get into it, it's, hey, you know, people, I would send the, the unedited copies to my niece. And I would say, hey, you know, you got to just check this out. Tell me what you think. And she would say, what in the world is arm action? And what in the world <laughs> is, uh, you know, extension? And I, so Bobby and I went into kind of going into the degrees of some scouting terms. It's not a scouting for dummies kind of book. But it's also something that I think you can learn about traditional scouting. And like I said, analytical person who still believes in traditional scouting, my going through this project, sitting there saying, man, this makes so much more sense scientifically. And it's like numbers are scientific, but scientifically, scouting is so much more accurate uh, than than it would be for a number to identify something. So, you know, yes, I'm a numbers guy. 
but scouting side, as you go through this book, you are going to gain something from it, uh, from a scouting side, whether it be, you don't know what arm action is, or you do, you know, we, we talk about how there's going to be general managers that read this book and there's going to be people like my niece who dabble in baseball, who are going to learn something. So mm-hmm. absolutely. You're, you're going to find something. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a war of attrition between the two. Uh, as Bobby noted, there's always a middle ground to be had. And I think that middle ground is lost in baseball right now and needs to come back or needs to be the focus of coming back. And a lot of teams are doing well with that. Um, but yeah, no, definitely something that's a very intriguing in the book. I don't know about sales pitch on it, but definitely something that is a high focus on this uh, in this project. Awesome. Awesome. I definitely relate to that. You know, I think that oftentimes we... Hey, the games have to be played, do they not? If, if if all we did was numbers, then I don't know, just go into the coding app on your MacBook. You know what I mean? All these types of things. <laughs> I find it really fascinating. Uh, always the dichotomy between these two things. Um, even if in baseball, especially, can it get a little bit maddening for sure? But I find, find it very interesting and especially would love to hear uh, Bob's um, perspective. And I imagine many others would. But be, I also want to hear about your guys' perspective on a couple other things, including Padres-centric players, because this is after all. The Lockdown Padres podcast, obviously. You guys see the background. <laughs> if you don't see us right now, that means you're not watching the YouTube. Uh, go check that out, Lockdown Padres on YouTube. But before we get into that, let me just quickly take a second to talk about something that is also uh, something that I'm fascinated in. All right? Hey, look, look, Taylor, I, I love Thanksgiving. Like, I, I don't know if I've told you this before. I love it. I love the food. I love taking the mashed potatoes with the beans, with the cranberry sauce, and mushing everything together. <laughs> That's the best Thanksgiving food. You know what I'm talking about? But maybe you you also want dessert, you know, and on top of that. And you don't want a dessert that's so full of calories and sugar and all the stuff that, you know, might not make you feel all that great, right? Well, guess what? It's the perfect time for Built Bars, the best protein <laughs> bars in all of the land, guys. They are the new holiday desserts. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie, and I'm a big fan of pie, so I would know this especially. I don't even have to look at my ad copy that I'm reading right now. Uh, but one slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Whoa. Most built bars are only 130 calories and only four grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with the coconut built bar or the <laughs> raspberry built bar. Use that to replace the raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors. They've got Rocky Road, Cherry Barcia, which is my mom's favorite flair, coconut brownie chunk. They, they taste like candy, to be honest with you. I mean, these things are really good. I'm, I'm not this part. I'm being serious. These things are really, really good, guys. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein. And they have new surprises all the time. Not just the flavors I mentioned, but new ones coming out. Uh, like every week practically over at Built Bar. So what are you waiting for? Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Remember that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Of course, I want to hungry. So thank you. Oh, I have. Oh, that was that was the idea. I succeeded then. They're really good. I recommend checking them out. <laughs> they are really good. I also like Apple Almond Crisp is really good. I like that one. That one's, that one's a banger. It's un. Underrated, I think. Underrated. Um, but yeah, thanks for making Godrys your hashtag first listen every day. We're free and available on all platforms. And now back into the discussion. As much as I'd love to talk about Thanksgiving and desserts for, I don't know, the next three weeks and whatnot. Um, I want to talk to you guys now about two things. One, your favorite kind of moments of the book. You know, maybe, or should I say, your favorite parts to work on. Because that's what I always love asking everybody who does any sort of writing is that writing can often be a very tumultuous process. But when you look back on it, you're like, well, I actually really enjoyed this one part. So I'm curious, before we get into some of the Padres stuff, what was kind of your favorite 
um, thing to do, favorite thing to research, favorite thing to collaborate on for the book? For me, it was um, two things. I mean, that, that 2002 Angels team really bought, brought me into baseball fandom. So a lot of that was a big part of it. But um, Bobby went to Russia. And right after the fall of the Soviet <laughs> Union, um, the Angels were hoping to build a program yeah. there. And the, the, the study that had to go into something that I only knew as a, briefly as a child, but I had interest in with the Cold War and things like this, um, really, really interesting. And I apologize. My, my window's open and I've got a giant <laughs> truck rolling by. So I apologize if that gets picked up here. Um, but no go for it. <laughs> yeah, the, the part about Russia through this course is something, you know, I'm calling guys that uh, I never thought I'd talk to that, you know, and I think there's a perception of Russia from an American dialogue that is not a positive. And I think that Bobby really transcends that and says, look, you know, and even in the chapter, you know, we, we talk about these things. So the study, the, the work that had to be done to go into that part of the book um, and just the interest. I mean, I found it so interesting and intriguing um, just to put that all together. Um, and Bobby's story about it is really interesting. Um, uh, I mean, even to the point of having a, a letter from George Bush, the original, the, you know, OG George Bush. Um, <laughs> and, uh, wow. um, you know, letters like that, it's really interesting. So Bobby, I, I know you have some other things, but that one really did it for me. Well, thank you, Taylor. Yeah, Russia was interesting. It was one of my highlights in baseball. And uh, we thought we could pull something off there because, you know, you're you're so young, Javi. I mean, the, the uh, USSR doesn't mean anything to you, I'm, I'm sure, but it was a communist country. You know what I mean? Pardon? <laughs> Just a I'm couple sorry? movies. Like Stranger yeah, Things yeah. season three, stuff like that. You know, that's basically all I know, right? <laughs> well, their excellence in sports was almost unmatched. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, well, if we could get in there, maybe we could get, you know, uh, get a, a hold in there. And it, I grew up in the Cold War. I grew up with Russians hating Americans, Americans hating Russians. And when it finally came time to go over there and you found out, hey, they were just like us. They were great people. They were two governments that didn't get along but they were great people and they wanted what we wanted. And so to see three kids come over from the Soviet Union who had been our enemy for so long, be on a baseball field with, our, with their uh, angel teammates in the rookie league, it, it was more than just a baseball thrill for me. It was a thrill and something I didn't know that I'd ever see because of the divisions in the world. And, and like Taylor said, there were a lot of stories that went with this. You'd never imagine doing it today. Well, if you did, you'd have cell phones and everybody knew where you were all the time. I'm running around <laughs> Russia with no cell phone. Nobody knows where the heck I am. I don't know where I am. And looking <laughs> it was good. And uh, I enjoyed, I'm going to say I enjoyed every chapter, but I think to be able to reminisce about my father was something that meant a lot to me because obviously he was the one that got me in the game, but he, he grew up in a very, very important time in baseball history and the way he got in the game and the way he was brought up, um, it was a proud moment for our family. So I would say those two. That was, that was really great. That was very wholesome. That made my heart. I, I feel great. I feel great just hearing that. Um, 
and and that's that's the thing I feel about all this stuff. I agree 100 percent on the Russia stuff, and I think that that part I would argue is the thing that made me most interested in this uh, uh, whole discussion that we've been talking about. That makes me want to get the book right now. I love when people talk about baseball internationally, um, especially in places that we don't think of. Um, I think that you know we talk about Japan a lot. We talk about you know how the Dominican Republic people always bring up oh they won the the World Baseball Classic a lot, but a place like Russia, I think that's fascinating stuff, right? Like because you just don't think of that. You think of hockey, you know what I mean? You, so you think, think of all the other Olympic and sports. basketball, yeah. And, and basketball. And, and even with, with all that, we have an entire part of the book. It's a chapter, but it's about six chapters within a chapter. It is the international stories. And it's about Bobby going to the Dominican and Mexico and Japan. I, I mean, you know, for kind of to relate to the newer audience and even the, the Padres especially is Bobby was there seeing you Darvish in high school. And, you know, you Darvish was a known commodity, but, but getting the scouting report on you Darvish when he was in high school and now being able to see what he is today, you know, one of the best pitchers in the game is, is really interesting, but you know, you were asking about favorite chapters and definitely sitting there. Number two, number three was uh, the international story, especially about Bobby going to Venezuela and uh, almost not coming back. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Bobby, I wonder, like, do you ever just sit back and kind of look at this and be like, wow, like I really did get to like, you know, it's kind of like cheesy and cliche to say how everyone says they want to see the world and whatnot. But do you feel like on a on a kind of smaller sense by going to all these places that you got that little experience of being like, wow, I met so many people, so many different cultures? Bobby, there, there's no question. And when I got in the game, one of the first things my father told me is, you're going to travel extensively and you're going to go to places that people have to save all year to go to for a week. And you're going there for free, many, yeah. many places. And I never forgot that, not to this day. Uh, I have been all over the world. The only, uh, I was hoping uh, to get to Australia so I could go to Antarctica and say I've been to every continent. Uh, still hope for that. But uh, the one thing, I have one regret about my travel is I never mm -hmm. took cameras early in my career. Uh, with cell phones, it's easy. But I, I think back to the things I wish I had pictures of. Because I'm a historian, I love history, and I will go visit different places, but I am a very, very fortunate person, and there isn't a day go by that I don't remind myself how fortunate I am to have done all the things I've done with so many great people in so many great places. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, I definitely can't wait to check out that part of the book as well. But now I want to talk about, we got to touch on this, it's Locked On Padres, the Padres players, San Diego players, Hall of Famers, Tony Gwynn, Ozzie Smith, Ozzie Guillen, some other guys, Kevin McReynolds, Steve Mura, Tim Flannery, Bob Guerin, Bob Shirley, Eric Show. Not going to lie, do I know who all of these people are? No, not necessarily. They're a little bit before my time. But, um, Bobby, can you Are you, you saying about... I'm old? Uh, no, no. I'm saying that I'm just too young. I'm saying that I'm too young. All right. I'm one of the okay, young Okay. All right. All right. I don't even, I don't even know what a, you know, what a camera is. I've only heard, seen cell phones before. You know what I mean? Like I, I have no idea what it is. Um, but can you talk about, I mean, you got to start sure. with Tony Gwynn, right? What is that? Well, like? I'll tell you what, I'll lead up to Tony because you mentioned okay. some other names there. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't know if he's still, but Eric Shaw was the all-time Padres leader in wins for many, many years. Mm -hmm. He he had a, a just a solid career. Timmy Flannery was a, a face of the Padres, even though he didn't always play every day. The community just loved him. And, uh, you know, Steve Mira, Bobby Guerin, 
those guys, they were special. You, you got to understand in those days, we didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Was, we didn't have mega TV deals and this and that. We had attendance and maybe a little radio contract. Well, when you're drawn like we were 2,500 fans a night, that doesn't leave you with a lot of money. And one thing that we were able to do because we had such a great group of baseball people like the Bavases, uh, my father, Mike Port, we had so many good people that they knew how to develop talent without spending a lot of money. When you go back into the 70s and the Padres, you will see they developed a lot of great players like Dave Winfield that came through that we didn't spend the money the club did because we didn't have it. But what we could give back then, Javi, was opportunity, chance to get to the big leagues quick. And, and the quicker you get to the big leagues, the more money you make. And then as, as time went on and Mr. Kroc bought the club, we started having a little more money. And then we started getting a little better. But we were still trading players occasionally to meet payrolls and assign uh, draft choices. That was just the way it was. So that organization did a great job, even though it didn't equate to wins and losses at the big leagues. Now, as we got towards the end of the 70s, things got a little better. We started having better clubs. um, And our drafts were always pretty strong. To get to to like Ozzie Smith, Ozzie was, was a Southern California kid, went to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. He was known. Um, he was the probably, not probably, he's the best young defensive infielder I've ever seen. By far the quickest feet. I mean, he moved just so fast and his arm was so fast that even though he wasn't a great runner or had great arm strength, he could steal 50 bases in the big leagues. He could throw out the worst runner or the best runner in the major leagues by a foot. It didn't matter. He had that kind of ability. And, and everybody saw a lot of Ozzy. And the big question was, is he going to hit enough? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? If, if everybody knew he was going to sign that year with us and go to the big leagues the first day next year, he'd have been the first pick in the first round signed. <laughs> and but Ozzy always thought he could hit. He believed he could hit. And he was such a great athlete that that you believed that he would. And it just happened a lot quicker than anybody else. A great kid. A great kid. You know, the one thing about Ozzy and Tony, if, if you look back at their career and see any clips, they always had a smile on their face. Yeah. They loved being on the ball field. They they knew they were good and they loved being there and playing the game. And Ozzy did that his whole career. He was doing backflips all the time. He loved the game. And then in, when the year we got Tony was the year I was scouting director in 1981. I, I was a scouting director 20 years. That was my best one ever. Because we got Kevin McReynolds, who you mentioned, who was a five-tool player, played in a couple World Series. We got, obviously, Tony. We got John Cruck. We got Ozzy Guillen. I mean, this scouting staff was unbelievable. They were veterans. They'd been together a long time. And they knew what they were doing. They were able to to put players on a list in a position where you had a good chance to get them in the draft. And when it came to Tony, Tony played at San Diego State, was a basketball player, uh, drafted by the Clippers. And a lot of people thought he might try to play basketball first. He hadn't played as much baseball, so he was refining his skills uh, we saw a lot of them because he played in San Diego. 
uh, between myself, Jack McKeon, who went out there a lot. Jack was general manager and excellent evaluator. Bob Miller, an excellent evaluator. Cliff Ditto, Gary Sutherland, who scouted for us, former major leaguer. We had all kinds of looks on this kid. And Jim Dietz, the coach there, helped us out a lot. And the biggest thing was, where would we be able to get Tony in the draft? And I told the guys, I says, you guys better figure this out. And they did. We got him in the third round. There was some talk, maybe the fourth. That would have been stretching it. So when you look at that draft and you see McReynolds and you see Gwynn and Bill Long pitched six years as a starter, John Cruck, Ozzie Guillen, I say, oh, my gosh. That's, you know, I didn't know at the time it would be the best one I was ever associated with. But the, all those guys yeah. I mentioned did a great job. Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask. Like, you know, when you you have Ozzy, when you have Tony Gwynn, I, the, people want me to ask, I bet they're like, did you know? Like, did you know, like in that moment or whatever? Or was it more like, you know, to get really nerdy, was it like Albus Dumbledore meeting Voldemort for the first time as a kid? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I knew he was special, but I didn't know he would be the most powerful like wizard of all time. And that's what's so interesting about all this yeah that's that, that's a great, that's a great question <laughs> no it, 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 it's, a, it's yeah. a great question because number one you have to know what you're looking for but number two you gotta have some luck are you kidding me and <laughs> are you gonna tell me that you get ozzy smith in the fourth round tony gwen in the third round randy johnson in the second round and you knew they were going to be what they were going to be if you knew it, they would have each been the first player taken with first pick in the first round. Mm -hmm. And I used to, Cliff Ditto and I used to get, we, we just laugh. People come up, congratulations. You guys did a great job. You guys stole Ozzie Smith. They said, yeah, we did. We did a hell of a job. We waited 120 picks before we took him. But the point <laughs> of it is, the point of it is we did like him better than the others. And so for that, yeah, we're happy. But we're not sitting there saying we outsmarted the world because we did. And if people are honest with you, I think they'll tell you the same thing. Mm, mm, mm. I relate to that, obviously. Uh, I, I too have made very important draft picks in my fantasy football league uh, before that have amounted to great. Shout out Cooper Cup. You are, you are the best. Um, but guys, <laughs> now I want to talk about, before we kind of close things out, I want to talk about just baseball and sports books in general. If you guys have any other favorites, of course baseball oriented and whatnot but are there some other stories that you're a big fan of it could also be fictional as well fiction or non-fiction or are there any kind of things that maybe you took inspirations from maybe for the style of the book or the the structure what kind of uh, stuff do you guys hold close um, for, for me you know I, i'm a big grisham fan i even put it in the book that i'm a grisham fan and grisham has a baseball book called calico joe um, so the, the gravitas that, that John Grisham has was really kind of my focus and baseball and John Grisham. I feel like a lot of baseball people are fans of John Grisham, but they don't always go hand in hand. Um, you don't want law and baseball to work together always all the time, but, um, re realistically, um, future value, uh, Eric Long and Hagen and Kyler McDaniel and, um, just reading through what they put together for the, the, a new, you know, a new fan of baseball trying to learn the modern game. Um, I took a lot of that from what they had and kind of established a style there. And then um, right near, uh, <laughs> I don't know if Bobby knows this or not, but right near the end when we were finishing editing, I was in the middle of reading Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. 
And I, I changed a few sentences and a few structures just to kind of hit the, the Michael Crichton style a little bit. Um, but Future Value, Calico Joe, those are my two baseball books. Um, there's obviously many others, but those are the two that I really focus on. There was a guy that used to write kids sports books. I want to say his name was Christopher something. I used to write kids sports books. And I, I for whatever reason, I can always go back. I can't think of the title, but it was a Japanese kid that has just moved into the neighborhood and he was a shortstop, but because he was a new kid and all these things and, and he wasn't, uh, it wasn't a Japanese community. It was a white community. He, he got moved to third and he was upset about that. So it's, you know, it, it's silly things like that come back to you, but it definitely, um, the writing style of John Grisham and Michael Crichton. And, you know, I, I talked to Bobby about this is I wanted to keep his natural humor, his natural voice as a part of the book. And a way that I kind of was able to view that is it sounds silly, but Brad Paisley is my favorite musician and the honesty of his songs, you know, if she tells me to give up fishing, uh, you know, I have to give up fishing or I have to give up my wife and screw it. I'm going to miss her. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, kind of Bobby's, that's kind of Bobby's humor. So I wanted to keep that honesty as a part of it. So as weird as it is, John Grisham and Brad Paisley had a very big influence on this book. It's awesome. That's, I love that. I, love I, that. I share the Grisham uh, with uh, Taylor. Yeah, I, I when I buy his book, I can't put it down until it's done. It's uh, he's a great author. But there are two baseball books, and you're gonna you're gonna say what? Because I, I I don't read a lot of sports books. I was always one when I was home to try to divorce my lifestyle from the families because I didn't want them to get obsessed with what I did. But there were two books, and it might sound corny. Um, the first one was Bang the Drum Slowly. Now, it came out as a movie. But when you read this book, I think it epitomizes how friendships can come from the strangest places in baseball. You've got this guy, the, the star pitcher and this backup catcher who aren't really friendly, and the backup catcher gets sick. Next thing you know, the pitcher's taken care of him. And it, it kind of it made you feel good about that's the kind of things that happen in baseball. Granted, it's a it's a it's a fictional book, but it it, it shows things that I've seen. You know how people that aren't necessarily the closest friends can come together to help. And and the other one was Eight Men Out. The reason yeah. for that, yeah. well, number one, I worked for the White Sox twice, but you know what? Those guys were great players. They didn't have a lot of money. Um, and the things that they did, uh, it just interests me. And when I worked in, in Chicago, at lunchtime, I'd go up to the press room at Kaminsky because they fed us for free. And I used to look every day at see was Joe Jackson's contract on the wall. And I just thought that, wow. And, and you know, mm -hmm. so many of those guys didn't get a dime or whatever. What they did was wrong, obviously, but it, it fascinated me. And I would have to say those two books. That those are great choices. I, I don't find them all that that weird, to be honest, either. I mean, my favorite sports book ever is like The Boy Who Saves Baseball by John Ritter, because I don't believe it or not. I don't actually read too many sports books either. I don't even remember the last one I did read. Maybe it was I got this Carmelo Anthony book recently, but I don't for my dad. For some reason, out of nowhere, he just got it for me. It's he's half Puerto Rican. So, you know, I guess I'm required to uh, be a fan and whatnot. But um, yeah, uh, guys, this has been a really really great discussion i've had a blast before we kind of you know wind things down i want to once again thank you for making lockdown padres your hag first listen every day again freedom
available on all platforms. So I want to give you guys a shot for what should be your second listen. Locked on bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on bets hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. Before we officially close things out, guys, any other last things you want to plug? Anything else you got going on? Maybe you got a Twitter plug. And I imagine, of course, most importantly, tell people where you can get the book. Yeah. Um, in Search of Millionaires, A Life of a Baseball Gypsy, you can find it through uh, the publisher's site, iUniverse.com. It's in the bookstore. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, if you want to send it to us, uh, like Young Jun Yoon did, so we can sign it uh, and send it back Ooh. to Korea. This is kind of cool. It, we had someone yeah. send us uh, a copy of the book so we could sign it, and we're going to send it back to Korea, which is really cool. Um, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is uh, through Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward and uh, Bobby. Whatever you got, buddy. Well, that that was good, uh, Taylor and Javier. I, I just want to personally thank you for having us here. You know, I have two homes in baseball: one where I started in San Diego for many years, and the one where I spent most of my uh, years out in, in California with the Angels. And so, anytime uh, to be able to to talk with anybody from San Diego, it's it's a real pleasure. And I thank you. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I appreciate that so much. I will say though, to, to break the facade for anybody who doesn't know this yet, I'm actually not from San Diego for the record. I'm from New Jersey, but still. No, uh, but it's, your show is. <laughs> and the bars you're pushing are, so I. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course. Look, and that just shows the generational thing. The fact that I'm a fan of a team that is quite literally on the opposite end of the country that I currently reside in. Maybe that's just a new generational thing. I don't know. But again, guys, it's been so much fun. And with that all being said, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Yeah. Follow Taylor on Twitter. Check out the book. I know I will be for sure. Maybe gonna. It's, it sounds like a cozy read. Dare, dare I say that's something for the cozy kind of wintry season? I feel like that that would do really good, especially for the off season. since, let's be honest, <laughs> This guy's offseason baseball. The news doesn't exactly come out that quickly. You know what I mean? It doesn't always come. Until next time, stay safe and of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies. Take care.